Welcome to my podcast, The Cross in the Desert. I'm your host, Randy L. Noble, and I want to say thank you once again for taking time out of your busy life to join me today on my podcast. My podcast, The Cross in the Desert, is dedicated to being a voice, a strong voice, for my dear Iranian friends who suffer under the iron fist of a dictatorship every single day. The Islamic Republic of Iran is an egregious violator of their human rights. And in the first year of their new president, President Ibrahim Risi, who was installed as president, and I say installed because there's no such thing as a democratic election in Iran, who was installed in the presidency on August 3rd of 2021, In the first year of his presidency, there has been an appalling record of continued human rights violations, 521 executions, along with horrific punishments of eye gouging, that is blinding someone, that's the penalty, they are blinded, eye gouging, hand amputations, if you're a thief, Under Islamic law, you can have your hand amputated. So you have eye gouging, hand amputations, public executions, and of course the escalation of crackdown on women. The morality police arresting uh, women in the streets for not wearing a proper hijab. And in some cases, they're fined and flogged publicly because they had a bad hijab. So that has been going on the first year of the presidency of Ibrahim Risi. And would you expect anything different? It doesn't matter what president is installed by the supreme leader. The human rights violations continue. And the crackdown and oppression of women continue. My good friend Adafi used to live in the heart of Iran, in its capital in Tehran. And she would send me stories all of the time talking about how women are treated in Iran. And one of the stories is in my blog, The Cross in the Desert, that I want to share with you this morning as I talk about the problem of evil in Iran. And I want you to hear in her own words what it's like for a woman, an average woman. What is life like for Iranian women? And she asks the question, can you imagine a day you wake up in Iran You dress as normal as you do every day. You are fresh to start the day, but as you reach your university facility, your phone rings, your mobile rings. It's the security guard. They have been watching you talk to your male classmate. So you are called to the discipline committee to prove that you aren't involved in some way with that boy Because if so, you're in violation of the Islamic rules. You know, the sexes are segregated in Iran. How dare you talk to this young man at university? You know you can never prove that, Atefi writes. And you get something like a note in your graduation certificate stating you had an illegitimate relationship with your classmate. And of course, if that happens... It's going to be a hard, hard road to get a good job with that violation in your certificate. Well, there's another day as you enter the facility. A woman wearing a shador stops you at the door, the university. 
She asks, What's that makeup you're wearing? Again, the discipline committee. Wearing makeup and showing fingernails is against Islamic law. So the third day, your mobile rings. It's the discipline committee. They want to talk to you. Why have you got a Facebook account? You know that's a violation of Islamic law. Why aren't you wearing your hijab in your profile picture on your Facebook account? Again, the discipline committee. But since you have this account, you might want to help us. You know, you might want to be a spy for us. Um, who are your friends, miss? Do your friends have boyfriends? Do they have sex with their boyfriends? Do your friends stay at your boyfriend's houses at night? You need to go be a spy for us in the dorm and maybe we'll look, we'll overlook that Facebook account. And you got to report anything that happens directly to them. And, Atefi writes, if you say anything against Islam or any of the political figures, your parents won't see you anymore. Well, if you manage, Atefi writes, to graduate and get through this horrible scenario, let's say you're now working, you're a graduate, you somehow made it into the workplace as a woman. 8 a.m., you go out of the house and you, when you reach downtown, you're, you're driving downtown, the morality police stops you again the same questions you failed the test your hijab wasn't good enough you're wearing some makeup some fingernails you're going to go to the police station and you sit next to men who have been arrested in the street they take a picture of you while you were holding a piece of paper with your name on it how humiliating you're treated exactly like a criminal they treat you like a prostitute they bombard you with their words and accusations until finally You burst into tears. Then they call your home and ask your parents to bring a longer manito. That's a shador, another tent outfit to wear. Now you have to sign a commitment paper, which says that if they see you on the street and they don't like your appearance, you will have to appear in court. And this vicious cycle continues for the rest of of your life. You know, Atefi writes, they even stop your car to check your appearance. Atefi concludes by saying, these are the daily routines for Iranian girls here. And when you wish to free yourself by migrating somewhere else, the sanctions and poor economical situations won't allow you to pay the primary expenses. Then you feel there is nothing called God no justice. The suffering has such an effect on the Iranian men and women there. Where is God? Why is there so much evil in the world? Why is he allowing us to go through this? I want to try to answer this thorny question, which becomes in many ways a barrier for most people to come to faith in Christ or to become a Christian. This is an age-old question that has been asked for centuries, for millenniums. Why does God allow evil? He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He's everywhere present. He's supposed to be a good God. Well, then why? 
Is there so much evil in the world? Why is the Islamic Republic of Iran allowed to oppress these people and treat them like creatures, like insects? Why does God allow that? I want to try to answer that in the remaining time of my podcast. Well, first of all, we need to understand something from the Bible, the character of God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And he is sovereign. That is, he is in control of everything. That's what the Bible explains to us about the attributes of God. God is capable of as being all-powerful of preventing evil. And of course, he desires to rid the universe of evil actions. Well, if both of those statements are true, then why does God allow evil? If God has the power to prevent evil, and he even desires to prevent it, why does he still allow it? Well, I want to try to answer that this morning. This is from an article on the Got Questions website. A very good article that addresses this thorny question. Let's take a practical way to look at this question and to consider some alternative ways people might have God run the world. Really? Well, number one. Couldn't God change everyone's personality so that they would never want to sin? Well, but this would also mean that we would not have any free will. We would not be able to choose right or wrong because we're programmed to only do what's right. Had God chosen to do this, there would be no meaningful relationships between him and his creation. The ability to love would not be a free will action establishing a relationship. In other words, it would be something programmed in you as if you were a puppet or a robot. Well, but instead, God made Adam and Eve innocent. But they had the ability to choose either good or evil. And because of that, they could respond to God's love and trust him, or they could choose to disobey him. Now, you know the story. Our first parents chose to disobey. And because we live in a real world where we can choose our actions, but not their consequences, their sin affected those who came after them, that is us, our first parents, their sin, their propensity to fall and to choose evil, we inherited that propensity in our soul. And similarly, our decisions to sin not only have impact on us, but also those around us and those that will come after us. So, God gave us the ability to choose either to be good or to disobey. In other words, he gave us freedom to choose. Our first parents were given that freedom to choose, and they chose to disobey. Now, another way that God could solve this problem is that he could compensate for people's evil actions 
through supernatural intervention 100% of the time. He could choose to intervene and stop it completely, right? God would stop a drunk driver from causing the automobile accident. God could stop a lazy construction worker from doing a substandard job on a house that would later cause grief to the homeowners. God could stop or would stop a father who is addicted to drugs or alcohol from doing any harm to his wife, his children, or his extended family. God would stop the gunman from robbing convenience stores. God would stop high school bullies from tormenting kids. God would stop thieves from shoplifting. And yes, of course, God would stop those terrorists from flying airplanes into buildings. Well, that sounds like an attractive solution, right? But it loses its attractiveness as soon as God's intervention infringed on something we wanted to do. Oh, wait a minute. We want God to stop all of those evil actions of those people out there. But do we want him to stop the evil intent and thoughts of our own heart? We want God to prevent those horrible evil actions, but are we willing to let God deal with the evil in our own heart? Those lesser evil actions that usually lead to the greater evil actions. In other words, should God only stop actual sexual affairs? Or should he not also block our access to pornography? or end any inappropriate but not yet sexual relationships. Oh, that's hitting too close to home. Should God stop stop the true thieves out there from stealing? Or should he not also stop us from cheating on our taxes? Hmm, that's hitting close to home. Wait a minute, should God only stop murder? Or should he also stop the lesser evil actions done to people that lead them to commit murder. In other words, if I say, oh, I just hate that person sitting next to me. I cannot stand the smell from their bodies. I cannot stand what they're reading. Should God not only stop that person from doing something wrong or not only stop the evil intent of your heart? Should he block the atheist from going on the internet to to write a book against the existence of God, that he should stop his keyboard from functioning, that he should stop all unjust thinking, the freedom to, to think wrongly, should he not stop that too? You see, that's a problem. When we want God to stop the evil actions of the people in the world, right? But he, we don't want him to deal with the thoughts and intents of our evil heart. If he's going to stop all evil, then he has to stop all thinking of evil in our heart. Do we want him to do that too? Another choice would be for God to judge and remove everyone who choose to commit evil acts. Right? Let's get rid of all of them. But the problem with this possibility is that there would be no one left. For God would have to remove all of us. Because all of us have evil hearts. The heart is evil and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. 
We all sin and commit evil acts. And it's true, there are some people that are more evil than others. But where would God draw the line? Ultimately, all evil causes harm to others. Well, those are some of the options you have for God to stop evil. But instead of these options, God has chosen to create a real world in which real choices have real consequence. In this real world that we live in, our actions affect others. Because of our first parents' choice to sin, the world lives under a curse. And all of us are born with a sin nature. There were one day come a time when God will judge the sin in this world and he will make everything new. But he is purposely delaying that in order to allow more time for people to repent. And so he will not need to condemn them. He desires that none perish but all come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 So until then, he is concerned about evil, of course. You can look at the New Testament laws that discourage and punish evil. You can see in the New Testament that the government has a responsibility to provide justice in order to protect the innocent from evil. He promises consequences, severe ones, for those who commit evil. So we live in a real world where our good and evil actions have direct consequences and indirect consequences upon you and me and those around us. And God does desire for all of our sakes that we would obey him, that it might be well with us. But you know the story. Instead, what happens is that we choose our own way. And then we blame God for not doing anything about it. And such is the heart of sinful man. The good news is that Jesus came to change men's hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he does this for those who will turn from their evil and call on him to save them from their sin and his consequences. What we don't often see because of the news and the media and the ratings and all the stories about evil, we don't see also the good things that God does to restrain and prevent acts of evil. This world would certainly be much worse were God not restraining evil at all. And at the same time that he restrains that evil, God has given us the ability to choose good and evil. And when we choose evil, he allows us and those around us to suffer those consequences. But rather than blaming God and questioning God on why he does not prevent all evil, you know, we should all be about the business of proclaiming the cure for evil and its consequences, the gospel of Jesus Christ. One day, Revelation 21.5 says, God will wipe the tears from our eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or pain or suffering. The old has passed away. The new has come. That is going to happen one day. God promises a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells and evil has been eradicated. 
I hope that I have answered some of your difficult questions about the problem of evil. And as I think about the problem of evil, I know that's no problem for God. It's just a problem for you and me. And I think about my Iranian friends and I pray for them that one day God will do the ultimate for them. And that is freeing them from this dictatorship government and giving them democracy and freedom. I appreciate you taking time to listen to my podcast today. God bless you. Have a great week. And I hope to hear from you once again on the cross in the desert.